back to that's ancient history. I'm Harriet. <laughs> no regular co-host of No that. regular co-host and executive producer of <laughs> That's Ancient History. And I'm Jean, the original host whose role has been stolen from under her feet. Um, by... I basically just have some ideas and I can't, <laughs> I can't keep them inside. They're great ideas. Now, if you weren't around for one of our more recent podcasts, which was all about the death of Cleopatra, in which Harriet appeared, you'll know that Harriet and I have sat down to record a few podcasts today and we're back again to talk about the rise of Christianity during the Roman Empire um, but if you don't know then Harriet was a fellow uh, classic student alongside me when I was studying at Edinburgh University who now works in charities. We have talked previously on this podcast about um, getting into classics, about visiting ancient sites, now the death of Cleopatra and like That's I mentioned. Christianity. Exactly. Although Harry and I did study alongside one another though, I do think it's interesting that we found ourselves drawn to different aspects of antiquity. Yeah, definitely. So I am very interested in religion within the Roman Empire and how different religions that weren't, you know, the state recognised one intersect with yeah, the empire, the day-to-day like living. They were able to live alongside um, pagans and what was and wasn't allowed by the Roman Empire, where they drew the line. Yeah, and you actually did a few courses when we were at Edinburgh about this kind of stuff, didn't you? Because I was very focused on the Greeks, and even when I did venture into Roman history, I usually remained in the sort of early empire and the. Yeah. In terms of the rise of Christianity, that's something that comes a little bit later. And um, during the early Roman Empire, it's very much a, like a persecuted group. Yeah, so I did a course called The Rise of Christianity. <laughs> I'd like to promise that I am not an expert in any way in this. I cannot, I cannot remember you're a single an, thing. No, you're an enthusiast. I'm an enthusiast, yes. <laughs> Just like you guys, an enthusiast. Exactly. Um, so we did one on the rise of Christianity, uh, Augustine of Hippo, Saint Augustine, however you say his name. I also like just from doing different things in the later areas of the empire, find it interesting that you know how Judaism also fits into that. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about the Roman Empire. Uh, a lot of different religions were actually coexisting at this time as as Roman rule spread across Europe and beyond. There was obviously local traditions, um, Judaism certainly existed, Uh, a lot of Roman paganism isn't too dissimilar to the Greek pantheon, Um, Zoroastrianism existed in Persia and there sort of had to be um, a compromise between the Roman rule and and locals in order to sort of keep the peace, but generally speaking, most people under the Roman Empire, at least those in Europe, would have been pagans. Yeah, and I think it's important to know that Roman religion was also tied very, very tightly to the political landscape. Mm-hmm. So if your religion was coming in the way of mm-hmm. politics and the day-to-day running of the empire, that's when it became very tricky. And it wasn't uncommon for Roman emperors to try and establish themselves as descendants of the pagan gods, like Augustus um, being a relative of Caesar and painting himself as a, a descendant of the goddess Venus. So I thought it would be worth establishing the like main differences between Christianity and, and pagan religion before we like get into any of this chat. Um, and I think the most obvious of those is that Christianity is monotheistic and paganism is polytheistic, which means that the 
there were various different gods. There was a god for everything. Yeah, there was a god for literally everything in pagan How did you society. Keep up? When you were like, oh, I really wish that the washing would dry. There's a god for that. <laughs> Let me just get out my handbook and go through it and remember which one it is. Do you even have a nice little textbook like the Bible? So complicated. <laughs> but then, as I'm sure we're all familiar, Christianity has one yeah. god. Um, and there's also that whole concept of a benevolent god. Christianity um, worships a, a god who really has the best intentions for humanity when you think about it, whereas the pagan gods don't. <laughs> yeah, and like you see that in ancient Greece as well, right? The Absolutely. gods are in control of your your life. Uh-huh. They're kind of playing chess with whatever, like, exactly. supports them and supports what's going on yeah. for them. Mortals are toys to them. Yeah. And they almost experience the same emotions and feelings as humans do and sort of act on those yeah. in a way that you wouldn't expect, say, the Christian god to be depicted mm -hmm. doing. Um, then of course there's the way that they're worshipped and I think like one of the things that becomes quite significant later during the rise of Christianity is the fact that uh, Christians don't sacrifice yeah. um, in, the, in the same way that the, the pagan cults do so like uh, those worshipping pagan gods will sacrifice animals to both the state and the gods whereas Christians don't, don't. <laughs> it's about worshipping that god but there's no like sacrifice yeah it. There's not the spilling of the blood. No, because they already did that with Jesus, so they don't need to keep doing it again. Ah, okay, okay. Jesus died for their sins, so. Yeah, so it exists and obviously um, Mary, sweet Mary, virgin Mary, um, and her husband, boyfriend, partner, they had to travel back. That's why they ended up in Bethlehem. <laughs> to have the baby Jesus. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these census that are taking place. People are trying to get their like house in order and to know who lives where, what's happening. And then you fast forward 30 years and Jesus has become this leader. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, 12 disciples. We all know this, well, we might not all know this, but most of us know the story of, you know, um, him saying to Judas, you're gonna betray me. All that stuff he was paraded through. Um, the streets, carrying a massive cross, he was like crucified, taken down, put in a tomb. Comes back to comes life. Comes back to life, shows his hands, he's got a nice little like nail. <laughs> and, and they go, oh, how do we know that you're Jesus? And he's like, well, one, I look like Jesus. You saw me a couple of days ago. And two, I've got these things in my hand, look. And um, this is all going on during like the yeah. early days of the Roman Empire. Yeah. So he's born during the reign of the first emperor, Emperor Augustus. So we know that Jesus Christ, although being Jewish himself, is the sort of instigator of Christianity. Mm -hmm. But how does Christianity even start to spread amongst the, the people um, at the time, be before the Roman Empire? So there's a theory that it happened through trade routes, so okay. people like moving. So Paul the Apostle um, was traveling around, met people, people like, Priscilla was a tent maker who was actually a Jew that had been expelled from Rome um, under Claudius's rule, I believe. Um, and he started to talk about Jesus and his teachings. Teachings, what it was about. Also, it's important to note that Christianity put women on a more even playing field than they'd been seen before. So I think that was quite attractive to people like Priscilla. I mean, she was she was married, but she was also it was her company, we made tents together, yeah. you know what I mean? So it wasn't like 
it was a bit more of an even playing field and there's lots of references to the fact that it's always Priscilla and her husband. Yeah. And um, so then they began to travel with Paul as well and um, going to places like Syria um, and that's how it started to spread. People meeting up with other people that they knew, talking about the teachings and it becoming a smaller thing that they would then talk about and discuss but it was very hidden at that point. So this is all going on whilst at the same time uh, the, the the religion of the powerful, the religion of the elite and the religion of the of the imperial dynasty is still very much paganism, yet Christianity is starting to take hold amongst like certain ordinary groups of people. Yeah that live under the empire um, and it, at first there was probably uh, the same amount of tolerance towards the Christians as there was to really any alternative religion but when we get to the reign of the Emperor Nero we start to see some of the first instances of state-sanctioned persecution towards the Christians. Mm -hmm. And the first examples of martyrdom of Christian martyrdom as well. Yeah, so this is all because of the Great Fire of Rome, is it not? A lot of people think that it was Nero himself that started the fire, but he needed a scapegoat essentially, so he started to blame the Christians and that's where we see those first persecutions. Yeah, so that was around 64 AD and uh, a lot of the theories were that uh, Nero wanted to like redevelop Rome, build different buildings uh, for himself, so the best way to get rid of Just like, to do a mass clearing of it? Yeah, just burn it all down. The thing is, to this day, we will never know what actually caused the fire, and the thing is, actually, these kind of like random fires were not uncommon in Rome, in, in a city where there was a lot of wooden buildings, so it could have been and a complete a accident. Yeah, and um, people hated Nero, they, they needed... Almost the people made Nero the scapegoat, so then Nero turned to yeah. the Christians. So, and it's actually Tacitus that, uh, that, that gives us this, this story from the time of Nero uh, using the Christians as a scapegoat. And that's an, an emperor, somebody in power, sanctioning this sort of persecution. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, so you have that um, first official 64 AD CE, 66 to 73 C, the Jewish revolts happened mm -hmm. against Rome. So we have all of these like balances of different religions mm. uh, for you know power reasons, political reasons, or just the fact that they weren't able to you know celebrate and have their own religion that they may have had for hundreds, hundreds yeah. of years. So it's interesting to note that that is also happening at the same time. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot building. of tension around what your religion is and who you are viewed as because of that religion. Yeah, and the Roman Empire might have seen it as quite threatening. Yeah. Well, you would though, right? So you've got this this set of religions that you know, you've essentially stolen from Greece, uh, <laughs> that have come through, okay? So they're thousands of years old by this point, if you, if you count them from coming from Greece. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's these new religions, these like new kids on the block that are <laughs> coming into mainstream society. Yeah. And people are starting to question not only their religious beliefs, but yeah. how that intersects with their political beliefs and who's ruling them and the motives behind that. And especially if you're sort of basing your um, legitimacy on the fact that you are descended from these pagan gods, that's going to seem... You're going to have a massive issue. If yeah, yeah. All of a sudden everyone says, no, no, we don't want these 350 gods because we don't read <laughs> them, we don't have a book on it and our memory is great, but it's not that great. <laughs> we want just one because it's much easier for us. <laughs> 
And this one's actually quite nice to us as opposed yeah. to the other one. And this one makes like women a little bit more equal. I mean, we're not going to say it's completely equal because... <laughs> it's antiquity. So yeah, then, so then you start to see this first level of um, persecution and, and the first examples of martyrdom where people refuse to renounce their Christianity. Um, so, you know, they're burned alive or, you know, all these horrific things. Um, but it's important to note that we see... Romans themselves, or, well, people within the Roman Empire becoming suspicious of Christianity when mm. it initially starts, okay? Because it's these small groups, they're in little, like, house churches, they often meet after dark. Like, you would kind of be like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, Why are they, they hiding? And they meet in the dark. Yeah. And so all of these sort of rumours start to spread about uh, how they're suspicious, we start to see that a lot of people feared that Christians would corrupt the mind of other Roman citizens, they would endanger the state by incurring um, the wrath of the pagan gods, which is really important to know. Yeah. Because um, if you believe that the gods yeah. are in charge of everything, then... Sort of blasphemous, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, and we start to see them spreading gossip and rumours about <laughs> Christians. Oh, dear. Oh, that's where it always starts. So, um... Three things that were alleged against them. Athenagoras, in his work, A Plea for the Christians, said three things that are alleged against us atheism, Thestian feast, and Oedipian intercourse. So. Well, tell us about Oedipian intercourse. Mm. Well, that comes that from. That should be naughty. Yeah, so that comes from the, the myth of Oedipus yeah. who married his mother, essentially. In this quote, it says sexual relations, not just with a brother or a sister, but with a parent. <laughs> is a strong impeachment to make. So there was also this idea that they used to um, introduce themselves, be like, hello, my brother, hello, my sister. So they were like, that's weird. Like, are, these aren't their brother and sister. Like, um, are they having some sort of weird, yeah. you know, relationship with them that is out with what it should be? And that's where that... Yeah, so the, yeah, yeah, they're kind of um, alleging incest there. And yeah. then the Thyestean feast um, is about is about cannibalism because it's based on the Greek myth of um, Atreus who killed the sons of Thyestes, cooked them and fed them to their father. Yeah. Uh, common theme actually in, in Greek mythology. Yeah, and then you see there, uh, there's one really great uh, passage that talks about how um, they believe that like they had dogs swinging from chandeliers <laughs> and they were all having like orgies and doing all this stuff and actually they were just, you know, meeting. And maybe there yeah. were groups that took it to that extreme. Yeah. But it's not the, the norm. Okay? No. And then just the whole idea of atheism is slightly different in antiquity in that to be an atheist sim is simply not to worship the proper religion yeah. as opposed to not worshipping any religion. Yeah, so it means that you're not part of the mainstream of society, yeah. that you can face ostracism because of that, and that's mm -hmm. what's happening in early Christianity. So, um, you know, plenty states, like, you do not worship the gods and you do not offer the sacrifice of the emperors, which shows. Yeah. You're basically not part of our group and we need you to get on board. And I think that kind of leads us into one of the sort of like major events in the persecution of Christians, which is the reign of the Emperor Trajan Decius. So his reign was between 249 and 251 AD. Big impact he had in those two years, apparently. Yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> because basically up until this point, the persecution of Christians is 
is going on, you know, on a sort of ad hoc basis. Yes, small local rulers. Office. It's basically like that mob mentality. You're in others who are wanting to get rid of you. Whereas now it's becoming all Christians are bad. We need to do something about this. You must renounce your Christianity or you cannot live. Yeah, because one of the things that um, the emperor introduced in this time period was uh, required sacrifices on behalf of the imperial family. So everyone was supposed to make sacrifices to the imperial family for the, the, the power of the imperial family. But as we've mentioned, sacrifice was not part of Christian religion, so it was something that Christians found very difficult to like compute with yeah. their form of worship so immediately they again were, were seen as almost like against the empire yes yeah, so you have like these examples of you can read you can look up like stories about martyrdom and and those who chose to martyr themselves for christianity and they're quite actually quite interesting reading them. but it talks about how they're unwilling to do this sacrifice and they are they're like basically being like put to death and they're still not willing to renounce their Christianity because they believe in it so strongly. Yeah. Um, and there's quite a few of them and they're actually really interesting the different ways that they were a martyr. Oh, that's a true crime episode. That is a true crime episode. <laughs> but this is called the rise of Christianity, this podcast, is it not? So things change. Yeah, so you see a, a change. So it's spreading, they're trying to stop these groups becoming larger and larger. Um, but amongst ordinary people, like of the sort of like lower classes and the soldiers and the armies, it's becoming more and more popular. Yeah, it's becoming more and more popular. So up until this point, though, it, it is not a religion of the elite whatsoever. Um, not really until the Emperor Constantine does it become something associated with the imperial class of, of Rome. So the Emperor Constantine was the first emperor to supposedly convert, but we can talk about that in a minute, to Christianity. Um, along with Licinius, who was co-emperor, um, because at this point the Roman Empire was split up into different areas, um, who in 313 AD a letter was issued um, that stopped the persecution of the Christians, and this was called the Edict of Milan. And that began a period where Constantine would grant favours to the Christian church and its members. Um, unfortunately, like most of the good things that we want to see in ancient history and in, cla in classical world, we don't know the exact words of the edict. Mm. And and after that, we've got quite a few decades in which paganism and Christianity sort of coexist within the Roman Empire. Is mm. that not true? Yeah. But it wasn't just Constantine that had a lot of influence at that time, wasn't it? I always thought it was very fascinating that one of the like sort of significant figures of the rise of Christianity during that time period was actually Constantine's mother. Yes. Yeah, so, so Helena, his mother, was. Christian herself and so it's not known whether or not he converted because of his mother and, and converted in his youth but wasn't open about it or whether or not the conversion actually took place um, when he saw a cross in the sky when he was fighting. Um, okay so sort of like vision that came yeah, to Yeah so it's like vision so basically he witnessed it the sight of a cross in the sky um, alongside his entire army. However, we don't know if this was like the one dramatic event that caused him to change or whether... There was sort of yeah. like an ongoing influence here with his mother, yeah. who later becomes Saint Helena um, in the sort of Christian tradition. And she lived between 248 and 330 BC and married 
uh, Constantine's father who was uh, Constantinus although he did divorce her and remarry but then uh, later Constantine when he was uh, made emperor she was brought back into favour in the court and then spent time on a pilgrimage throughout the Roman Empire and Roman territories um, to sort of I don't know if promote Christianity is the right word, but she's certainly going around repairing and building churches in place of temples. One place in particular was in uh, Jerusalem where the, the temples had been knocked down during the Jewish revolt um, and, and the Romans had come and knocked them down. Hadrian later had come in and built a temple to a pagan god and she replaces that with a Christian church. Yeah. which is an interesting sort of like development in the kind of significance of that land but she's certainly out there you know spreading that message kind of creating worship spaces for people yeah and then you see um around about that same time ad 325 the first council of nicaea was created and that's the council of christian bishops oh wow um so it's all kind of happening under constantine so interestingly enough the persecution of pagans actually did start under Constantine. Really? Yeah. Just not officially? Just not, like it wasn't an out, you know, he started pilgrimaging and tearing down temples probably at the same time his mum was building them back up to be. Yeah, churches. Um, but this is like, this, this is the turning of it, it wasn't until later. Yeah, because officially you could technically still be a pagan at this point. Yeah. It wasn't illegal, mm. it wasn't outlawed and... Well, the, yeah, and it wasn't until Constantine's son that the first anti-pagan laws came in. It was like the ordering of closing of all pagan temples, forbidden of pagan sacrifices under pain of death, and the removal of the traditional altar of victory from the Senate. So then we start to see ordinary Christians begin to vandalise mm. temples, tombs, monuments, persecution, then switches, I think. Yeah, so, but then you're right, it was still relevant, relatively um, tolerated, but then there was three emperors in particular where it just became something that wasn't allowed. Yeah, Theodosius, under the influence of the Bishop of Milan, Ambrose, at his suggestion, the state state anti-paganism policies were reinstituted. And that was in around 380 BC, so Christianity becomes the official state church of the Roman Empire. Yeah. And then 12 years later, legislation is, is passed that completely prohibits pagan worship. Yeah, so you, up until that point, things like the Vestal Virgins were still... Rocking. Doing their thing. <laughs> yeah, and you um, could still, you know, maybe sacrifice a wee pig to the gods yeah, now and then. And um, but that's you know that's when it stopped. Vessel virgins were disbanded. Access to pagan temples was prohibited. And such a quick turnover. That's in less than a century as well, which is fascinating. You know, yeah. within the space of like a few emperors, under less than a century, um, the the whole sort of religious uh, like sphere and its relationship with the state has completely done a one eighty. Mm-hmm. Although it is worth noting that you know traditions and families and people don't necessarily change as quickly as that and there were certainly still aspects of pagan religion that were integrated mm-hmm. within the the newer religion of christianity and the way people worship christianity for example more traditional burial like burial rites were still popular yeah. even whilst christianity was the dominant religion uh you know people carry on these traditions 
this meant that it was a while before the sort of traditional pagan lamentation at funerals yeah. was replaced with what we now think of as a more Christian funeral with hymns. Um, yeah. Slightly less like tearing out of the hair and screaming. Yeah, <laughs> there's still dogs flying in chandeliers, that's for sure. Yeah, I know. And actually, I think if we go back to one of our original podcast topics of visiting ancient sites, a really great example of this transition into Christianity mm. is the Pantheon yeah, in so Rome. Yes, what, 600 AD, however Yeah, that was converted. It becomes a Christian church. Yeah, whereas before it had been a pagan temple. Yeah. And actually because of that conversion into the Christian church and the constant use of it as a Christian church, it's still an incredible condition. Incredible condition. Unlike like, a lot of pagan temples that are now in ruins. Yeah, so that is a whirlwind rise of Christianity tour. Yeah, a brief introduction, shall we call it? Very brief. I mean, we could have talked on each of those areas. Oh. Or Phil podcast, martyrdom, you know, Constantine. Absolutely. But I think that gives you like a like overview of the change in religious status of the Roman Empire over those few centuries. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. No worries, thanks for having me. It's been absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure that you will be back on again, no doubt. Oh, I'm sure I will come up with a hundred different episodes that I like to do just for the fun. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and it's a goodbye for me, and a goodbye for me. <laughs>